So if you read my uh, invitation this morning, you heard that I was going to be giving out dipsogenic snacks. And you may now eat your dipsogenic snack because the point of this chapel is thirst and being thirsty. And so you can eat those while I give an introduction. Now, there's a book called Sahara Unveiled, and the author in it talks about people, two men who were stranded in the desert for three weeks. And these men were uh, uh, knew about the desert, and their truck broke down, and they waited for rescue, and they nearly died. And these were Algerian men who knew the danger of being stranded in the desert. They know it's not hunger that kills people who are lost, it's thirst. It's thirst that does you in. And thirst is the most terrible of human sufferings. And in fact, although the men have food, they stop eating it after a while because they know it will increase their thirst. And as their bodies dehydrate, they become willing to drink almost anything in order to quench that terrible thirst. So we use Greek-based words to talk about thirst, different stages. For example, the Sahara and pretzels are dipsogenic, which means thirst-provoking. Your word for the day. There's a couple more coming. The stranded men progressed from adipsia, which means no thirst, to eudipsia, which means ordinary thirst, to hyperdipsia, meaning temporary intense thirst, and believe me, after you're done these pretzels, you're nowhere near this stage yet, to polydipsia, sustained excessive thirst. And polydipsia is the kind of thirst that will drive you to drink almost anything. And some of these, uh, there are specialized words for such behavior. There's a word called uriposia, which is the drinking of urine, if you're so thirsty, or hemoposia, which is the drinking of blood. But there isn't a word for what these men eventually drank. Maybe we could call it rusty radposia. They drank the rusty radiator water from the truck. I mean, they were willing to drink poison in order to make their mouth a little bit wet. So how thirsty are you? And what are you willing to drink to satisfy that thirst? I'm going to read a part of our scripture uh, for the day, which is a story from John 4 that you probably know quite well. It's about Jesus and a woman, and it has all kinds of images about thirst and drinking. And I'd like you to rise for the reading of God's word. So the introduction says Jesus and his disciples were going to go back to Galilee. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, by, by, to draw water Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. Uh, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And Jesus has traveled a long way by foot. Rather than going around Samaria, he went through it. And it wasn't quite the Sahara, but it was certainly dry and hot and dusty. And Jesus is tired, it says. And no doubt he was thirsty and hungry because his disciples go to buy food. Sometimes we're so focused on Jesus being the Son of God that we neglect his humanity. He was really human like you and I, eating pretzels would make him thirsty. And then there's all this imagery of water. The woman comes out to draw water. But you should see that there are two thirsty people at this well. There's the woman and Jesus. And there are two sources of water. There is the well and there is Jesus. And so there are two kinds of thirst. There's a a physical thirst and a spiritual thirst. And Jesus, and in the telling of the story, transitions between the two. The woman has one kind of thirst in mind, and Jesus has two. And you've got to wonder, the woman knew her physical thirst, but did she know her spiritual thirst? Well, as the story progresses, she certainly has a religious curiosity. She's intrigued by Jesus, and she thinks she can talk to him about religious things. And then Jesus asks her to bring back her husband. And, you know, her answer gets kind of vague at that point, right? She says, well, I have no husband. 
Now, it's one thing to give that answer if you were young and unmarried or widowed, perhaps, but that's not the case. And Jesus clarifies that she's had five and that the man she has now is not her husband. And I think what he's doing is pointing out her thirst, that she has a thirst for much more than water coming up from a well, that she has, at the very least, you could say, a relationship thirst, that she, she needs to have a man at any cost. What are you thirsty for? What have you just got to have more of in order to be happy or to be happier? I think there's a little phrase that gives us a clue. It's the phrase, if only. If only I had a man. If only I had a woman, if only I had a child, if only I won a roll-up-the-rim prize, if only I had a better pension, if only I had excellent grades, if only, what are you thirsty for? There are many forms of thirst, but there's only one thing that can satisfy. To all of those who thirst, Jesus says, as he did to the woman, everyone who drinks this water, who drinks something other, will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them, it won't just, it won't just satisfy their tongue and their body temporarily, but what it is going to become is a spring, a spring of living water bubbling up so that your thirst is always quenched. You are creating water. You are giving out water. All people have spiritual thirst. But sometimes we have trouble recognizing it. I would say that I've become more and more aware of how that's true, even in my own life. And often we misdiagnose our thirst with our if-onlys, if only this, if only that. But what if your thirst, all these other thirsts, at the heart of them is actually God? Some years ago on Ash Wednesday, I was out with one of the staff people in my church for lunch, and um, he came to dessert time, and he asked uh, for the, the menu, and actually the waitress came out with a whole platter of desserts in front of him, and suddenly he went, oh no, it's Ash Wednesday, and he'd given up desserts for Lent. And so, you know, I was disappointed, he was disappointed, the waitress was disappointed, and away went the desserts. And I had not really thought much of giving up something for Lent before that, because I didn't want to make it into kind of a a works righteousness, you know, that I was sort of earning something. But I thought, okay, you know, I can do this. And so I very righteously decided to give up chocolate for Lent. Now, do, do you know how hard it is to give up chocolate even just for the few weeks of Lent. I mean, it was agonizing. It was excruciating. Chocolate had never looked that good. And I mean, it looks good at the worst of times and at the best of times. But I wasn't doing this for virtue, right? I wasn't doing this to earn gold stars to my salvation. I was doing it as a spiritual discipline. And so I challenged myself to to ask myself questions when that craving came up. I said, so, Joan, what if you desired God in the same way that you desire that packet of dark chocolate chips that's in the bottom drawer of the pantry right there? Or 
what if you salivated to do God's will in the same way that you are salivating for that Reese's peanut butter cup right there, right now? Or what if not getting your daily God fix made you as anxious as missing your daily chocolate fix makes you? And you know what? I came to the very sad conclusion that sometimes I would rather have chocolate than God. But I wasn't content with that. I knew what I really needed to be satisfied. Are you thirsty for God? Let's see what this thirst for God looks like with some passages from the Psalms. We visited some of them already for quenching thirst. And I'd like you to read with me where that shows up. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Excuse me a minute. Mm. Yeah. Oh, got any more pretzels? Now that is spiritual thirst. Same with Psalm 42, which says, as the deer pants. Now I haven't seen a deer pant, but I've seen a dog pant. For streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. When can I go and meet with God? Do you hear the desperation there? There's something that I used to have and now I don't. When can I go and meet with you? That pure need for God. You know, both of these psalms were written out of trouble, out of desperate circumstances. And you know, God works that way sometimes, right? It's the desperate circumstances that strip everything else away and that show us what our real need is, the desperate need for God. And sometimes God leads us into the desert like he did his people long ago so that we are stripped of everything else and we recognize our ultimate thirst again. So don't despair if you are in a desert place or if you're in a spiritual drought. God wants you sometimes to get good and thirsty. But the key is to be good and thirsty for the right thing or the right person. To get good and thirsty for God and to see every other thirst as a way to help lead us to God if we let it. Psalm 63 is a beautiful expression of having that thirst quenched. Again, read with me as your part is outlined. The psalmist, after expressing his thirst, goes on in verse 2 to say, I have seen you in the sanctuary. There's a remembering of what God is like, your power and your glory. They were alive for me once, God. I'm remembering you. And then verse 3, because your love is better than life. That's a very strong thing to say. Can you say that? Your love, God, is better than life? Your love is better than life? And then David turns into praise in verse 4 and 5. I will praise you as long as I live. 
I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. The psalmist responds by giving himself over to God, by raising his hands, by singing God's praise. And then in verse 6, on my bed I remember you. See, any time can be redeemed as God time. Having your thirst quenched means being mindful of God in whatever you are doing and wherever you go. And even if you wake up at night, don't despair. God may be trying to tell you something. He might be trying to get your attention. Or maybe there's something that he requires of you. And the psalm concludes, verse 7 and 8, Because you are my help, I cling to you. So how thirsty are you? I think you're probably a little bit physically thirsty right now. But how about spiritually? How thirsty are you for God? You know that Lent has just begun. It's still five weeks to Easter. And it's not too late to give up something for the rest of Lent. To decide on something that you will do without. And then use that desire as a pointer to God, and to be aware of your own bouts of thirst, whatever they are. Thirst for control, thirst for power, thirst for sexual satisfaction, thirst for companionship, thirst for financial success, and all of these thirsts to be redirected to God. To use your physical thirst for water even as a reminder of spiritual thirst, that's satisfying yourself with water can be a reminder of needing to be satisfied by God and a reminder of Jesus who thirsted to do the will of his Father in heaven, even to the point of laying down all of his other thirsts and desires so that he was willing to give up his life for us. And that very same Jesus has words of blessing for all those who are hungering and thirsting right here today. I invite you to rise for his blessing and the worship team to come forward. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And all God's people say, Amen.